Turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to John in his gospel in the precious chapter of 14. Chapter 14 has, has got to be such a jewel in our Bible. There's so much elegance. There's so much promise and hope and comfort and assurances in John 14. But in John 14, we're going to begin our reading in verse number one. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Thus says the word of God. May God bless the reading of his word among his people. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, these wonderful words that you have spoken to us this morning, let them be like fire and brand our hearts with truth. Burn away the dross, refine the gold of our faith, all so that Christ can be in us more clearly magnified. Father, we are yours, and we submit ourselves this morning to the sound of your word, to the power that you have ordained in the preaching of your word, and Father, we pray that you would change our lives. Would you transform us? Would you renew us? 
Would you conform us unto the word? Father, our heart's prayer together this morning is if there's one who is in the hearing of this message that does not know Jesus, has not seen him with the eye of faith, and is still holding out to see him in some other way, then, Father, let them, let them humble themselves this morning by the hearing of this truth and finally come to know Christ. May there be such a holy discomfort in their hearts this morning that they would run towards peace, that you would come to them and meet them as you've promised and give to them this settled assurance that they know Jesus finally and are known of him. We pray all this in faith and by the name of Jesus we offer it. Amen. Well, Philip is the disciple that we want to see Jesus through the eyes of this morning. And Philip is one of the first disciples that we learn about. We find him actually in John's gospel in chapter 1. As a matter of fact, we don't find him. Jesus finds him. Andrew finds Jesus, but Jesus finds Philip. That's all that the scripture records. But this morning, I wonder if if, uh, you could just take a moment and reflect upon the time in which Jesus found you. What a blessed moment that was. What a significant and and really eternally uh, testifying moment that was when Jesus found you. Jesus found you. Well, I think we all sit here this morning like Phillips. We have a lot in common with, like, with Philip. We've been found by Christ. And then in John chapter 6, we also find that, that Philip is, is with uh, Jesus and Andrew and, and really 5,000 people. Uh, and uh, they're all hungry. And Jesus says, where are we going to buy food for this much? And Philip comes up with the mathematical equation that if there was half a year's wage, it would barely feed everybody. So in John 6, we find him calculating things. He's always calculating things. In John chapter 12, the Greeks come, and Jesus is coming towards Jerusalem for the Passover. And the Greeks come, and they they come to Philip, perhaps because he bears a a Greek name. Philip is a Greek name, although it appears that he's a, a Jewish son of Abraham from the area of the Sea of Galilee, where like Peter, James, and John, and Andrew are from as well. He bears, for some reason, we don't know why, this Greek name, and maybe that's part of the connection, that the Greeks were able to, to ask him with a little bit of confidence, can we meet this Jesus who we've heard so much about? Philip isn't quite sure, and so he's calculating, how am I going to maneuver socially and um, maybe even theologically how to get Greeks to Jesus? And so he comes to Andrew. Remember, Andrew's the bringer. He says, Andrew, I don't know what to do with these Greeks. I mean, are they allowed around Jesus? I mean, the Samaritans were... What about the Greeks? He's calculating, he's calculating bread, and he's calculating Gentiles. And, and now in John chapter 14, he's calculating again. Oh, he's heard Thomas say, Lord, we don't know the way. I mean, tell us, how, how are we going to get to the Father? Well, Philip asks this different question here, and he wants to know, well, I mean, I want to know the dimensions of the Father. Lord, show us the Father, in verse 8 he says. 
Show us the Father. You, you've spoken so much about this. I mean, you even said in verse number seven, from now on you do know him and you have seen him. And Philip wants to know, he wants to kind of bear down on this. What? We've seen him? And maybe even this morning in the reading of Scripture together, maybe that was some of your response. Well, there are times that we are sure that God would that if God would only show up for us, that, that it, everything would be okay. Can you recall moments like this? Maybe you're even in the moment right now. Lord, if, if you would just show up, I know it would be different. I, I know that, that things would change if you would just be present. It's times, for example, in our parenting. Lord, help me in this moment. Figure this out, how to guide my child, how to nurture them, how to answer their questions, and how to lead them in grace and how to work through this time with my child, maybe even with my spouse. Lord, would you help me understand them and how to relate to them and how to minister and walk in peace with them? There's times in the workplace when things are mounting, pressure is there, maybe even socially and relationally with coworkers, or maybe it's pressures and deadlines and the whole atmosphere of maybe even confusion added by the brokenness and fallenness of this world. Maybe there's times during extreme and physical discomfort and pain. Lord, where are you? I'm here in this bed and I'm in so much pain. And the outlook isn't real good for this in the present. There's times of worry and concern in other parts of our life, but we know the Bible, we, we know God, but what we may wonder sometimes is where is God? Is he here? Is God really here? Doesn't he care enough to be present in this moment? Well, it isn't a wrong thing to crave the personal presence of God. After all, we are destined to be with God. That inward craving speaks of life. Everybody wants to be with the Father who are his children. Well, whenever Jesus speaks about death, the death of a disciple, Jesus doesn't speak about the disciple going to heaven. Let me say that again. When Jesus speaks about where, where the follower of Christ goes when he dies, he doesn't speak about heaven. He is specific, and he speaks to the disciple about being with the Father, being with him, being with the Father. That's because heaven is the presence of God, and the presence of God is heaven. And sometimes I think as believers, we need to refine our, the way in which we view things and just turn it a little bit more. It, it really isn't about an eternity in heaven that we're destined for. It's an eternity with our blessed Redeemer and Almighty Savior and our Father God. It's not about whoever made up the gold bricks on the road or a mansion on a hilltop. He says, in my father's house. That's how Jesus speaks about where the saint goes to the father. Well, 
Can we experience the presence of God here on earth while simultaneously anticipating that time when we will be with him in eternity? This is what's kind of stirring in the heart of the disciples as Jesus is saying, don't be troubled, I'm leaving. And they're wondering, wait a minute, then how can we be present with God? We need to be assured of one thing for sure, that God does not leave us as orphans. God does not leave us to be orphans. And while God is preparing a place for us, he doesn't wait to be with us. While God is preparing a place for us, he doesn't wait to be with us. This is an important truth for every disciple to be convinced of. God doesn't leave his children alone. Hey, write it everywhere. Write it everywhere where you worry, everywhere where you feel lonely, everywhere where you struggle with where is God and does he care? The father doesn't leave children alone. He's not like that. When Jesus ascended into heaven on that great day and promised that, the, that he would return, it was not a divine abandonment. Not at all. None of God's presence among us was diminished when Jesus left with his earthly presence, the incarnate body, to return to the Father. None of God's presence was diminished when Jesus ascended with the holy angels to heaven in Acts 1. But there was this one disciple, as we had mentioned, Philip, who always wanted to know the logistics of things when it came to God and his ways. We, we see in John 1, he was found by Christ. There's logistical information there. We see in John 6, he's trying to understand the kingdom economics. How could five loaves and two fish feed 5,000? We see him in John 12, figuring out the way to get Greeks to Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at his time with Christ during Jesus' upper room discourse with his followers. So in John 14, as we look at Philip and look at Jesus through his eyes, we see that Philip is trying to see more of God. He's trying to understand how can he maneuver away into God's, God the Father's presence. And we are introduced to this passage by a very reasonable question that we should all ask ourselves. Are we like Philip? Do we have this inward craving? Let me see God. Let me see God. There's a certain dissatisfaction that Philip represents in this question. Probably on the balance of things, not only are we satisfied, but some ways we're dissatisfied. We're not satisfied with the present revelation of God. You see, Philip wanted to see God, and at first there's something, there's something to say that is admirable about Philip's heart. There's something to say that, that his heart desires more revelation and knowledge of God. Does yours? Are you craving the word of God? Are you craving the presence of God? Are you craving the nearness and the awareness of God? Well, Philip is, is certainly an example to us of, of desiring to know every bit of God experientially that he can. He wants to make sure that he's not missing out. But that's not what's happening here is that he's pressing into more revelation Necessarily, You see, Philip in his finiteness, his limited understanding, has yet to grasp that Jesus is God's perfect and complete revelation. 
And this morning, we want to look at Jesus through the eyes of Philip as he asks what all of us wish we could ask sometimes and at some points in our lives. Jesus, can you please just show us the Father? Can you just show us the Father? And it will be enough. Well, there are two truths this morning that I want us to look at about Jesus that answer our deepest longings in this way. Number one, Jesus is the whole not the part of God. Jesus is the whole, not the part. Philip's question comes in the line of four childish questions to what sounds like a dying parent's last conversation. He's asking like a child these very naive questions, really good questions, but they really are childish in the sense of the great things that Jesus has to expose out of the heart and the very core and the root of the questions. It is enough for us, Jesus essentially answers. But Philip was saying Jesus wasn't enough. And that's, that's really a pretty ignorant statement. And there's times, honestly, that we just really are ignorant. And, and I believe even sinfully ignorant. Not just because of our finiteness and our limited aspects of our comprehension and the capacity to take in God. But there's times that we have been, become willfully, not willingly, but willfully ignorant. We have withheld ourselves from discovering. We have withheld ourselves from the adventure, the journey of knowing God. And so at times we come against great big questions that really he has provided the answer for and really in his presence has provided all the comfort for, but we have been so distant that we, we don't recognize what's right in front of us. Really this statement, you know, show us the Father and it would be enough, demonstrates that Philip, like the rest of the disciples and what is common with all of mankind, is that sometimes we can look right at something and still know, not know what it is. We can look right at something and still not know what it is. That's probably happened to you at times. Maybe some sort of picture puzzle. Or maybe something off in the distance that you were traveling on a, on a road, on a trip, and you saw something in the distance, and it wasn't until you got closer when you realized what it was. It was a cactus. It was a building. It was a billboard. It was something else. You're looking right at something, but you don't really know what it is. In our Christian ways, sometimes, for example, children can recite Bible verses and not really understand their meaning, and yet in front of them and, and being treasured in their heart, planted deep in their heart, is the very words of life yet they have yet to comprehend it. Or possessing a treasure without being able to estimate its value. How many of you enjoy watching the antique road show? With these glasses on, I raise my hand. Kind of something to see people's reaction when they find out they've been looking at something in their living room that's been an heirloom, uh, and all of a sudden, it's, it's worth a lot of money. And they've been looking at it for a long time. Or like looking through an object through a telescope without adjusting the focus. Or 
like looking at the night sky and not seeing the constellations. And then all of a sudden, someone points out to you the different shapes made by the prominent lights and stars, and now you see it and you can't unsee it. So it's quite obvious that even in our physical life, we can, we can look at something for a long time and never really comprehend what it is. Is it possible then that we can do the same in our spiritual lives? And absolutely it is. So the disciples had heard the parables. They had heard, by this time, they had heard the parables. This is at the end of three and a half years. They had listened to the instructions that Christ had given They had witnessed great miracles. But all of that was isolated instances to them. They still hadn't put it together. And the very thing that God wanted to do for them is show him, show them himself. And and so here was Christ. God was revealing who he was now incarnate in the flesh. But instead of Jesus rebuking Thomas and rebuking Philip and And just shutting down the conversation like a father would to a child who's still trying to learn, even if his questions are the wrong questions, Jesus would be kind. And he would promise the Holy Spirit who would take on the task of revealing Christ to them and all who would seek after the knowledge of God. Jesus, he says, is the wholeness of God. He was not part of the divine. In Colossians 2, 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, For in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It wasn't 33% of God in Jesus. All of God and all of Jesus, all together, But listen how the Apostle Paul takes this Trinitarian formula of the incarnation in Colossians 2, 9. And the next verse in verse 10 says this. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. As Jesus was filled with the the deity, with the Godhead, with the fullness of God, the Apostle Paul says... You, as a child of God, have now received the fullness of God as well. You have been filled in the same way in which Jesus was filled. That doesn't make you God, but it makes you filled with the presence of God. So what was Philip missing? Philip thought he was missing out. He thought that God was holding something more back. His question revealed something that we all have in common. And the question is, are we satisfied with the fullness of revelation that we have received in this present time? Are we satisfied with what God has revealed to us? We answer sort of yes and no, but essentially the bottom line is in our, in our still learning and naive and ignorant and sometimes willfully ignorant hearts, we are not satisfied with what God has given to us. But let me say this. That God is satisfied with how he has revealed himself to us in this present age. God is satisfied with the holy satisfaction that he has has revealed himself in satisfactory terms. Now, satisfactory, by the way, 
does not just mean stepping away from the table because you're full. Satisfactory means overwhelming evidence, inarguable revelation. God has overwhelmed us with revelation. This is one reason why we, we love singing the, the carols of the Advent season. The songwriters of ages gone by and presently as some are still being written, they, they kind of fuel in each one of these Christmas carols these sounds and questions of wonder and some sort of attempt at explanation. In one of the songs that we enjoy singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, verse 2 reads this way. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the what? The Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our God with us. Emmanuel. Jesus our God with us. Emmanuel. In Hebrews 1.3, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the exact imprint. He is exactly how God determined to represent himself in the flesh to us. You want to know the Father? Know Jesus. You want to know Jesus? The Spirit will tell you. He'll show Jesus to you. Spurgeon said this in talking about the satisfaction of of the revelation of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said, By receiving Christ unto your soul, you have received more than your soul can hold. Don't you love that? If he had a microphone, that was a mic drop. Jesus is more than your soul can hold, but he's got every part of it, and he's filling every moment of it. So then Jesus is the whole, not the part. But the second truth we find this morning is God is here, not far. God is here, not far. Besides revealing the Father, Philip, upon hearing about going to the Father, was asking if he could be with the Father now. He was essentially saying, take us to him, even if only for a moment. You've said that we can see the Father. You said we're seeing him right now. I just don't see him, but can you take me into his presence so I can see him? And Jesus doesn't feel slighted by this question, and he turns this question into a powerful teaching moment about the presence of God in a disciple's life, like, like the presence of God in our lives. Jesus is going to ascend to the Father soon, but God would be no less with the disciples and with you and I than when Jesus was on this earth. Jesus, God, Spirit, God in three in one is in the room with you. Philip, I don't have to take you anywhere. And God doesn't have to move to be with you. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He wasn't saying to Jesus, hey, at the second coming, show us the Father. He wanted to see the Father now. And so this was an amazing statement that, that Philip was saying. It, 
I don't just want to see the Father when I'm in one of those rooms that he's preparing for me. I want to see him now, not in the future, but I want to see him now. And if I could see him now, that would be enough. That would be enough. Well, that word enough is used elsewhere in Scripture, and it's, it's used in a really wonderful passage of promise. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the Apostle Paul is sharing with us the testimony of pain, suffering, of the glory of Christ through it. And the Apostle Paul says, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that Jesus said to him, I will not remove this thorn from your side because this, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. That word enough, same word for Philip. You have enough. You have enough. That's the feel of this word. That's the the thrust of this word. Philip is saying, if you just show us the Father right now, we'll, we'll make it through the night. We'll make it through the hardship. We'll make it through the times that you say are going to be troubling. That will be enough. And Jesus says, don't be troubled, Philip. Don't let it concern you. Don't let it stir your hearts. Don't be troubled. And he says to you and I, don't be troubled. Trust me, Jesus says, because the very father who has a place for you in his house where where the children will be gathered is now in this room with you. He's now here with you. Don't be troubled. It is enough. It is enough. In verses 7 through 11, Jesus wants to make it very crystal clear about what he means. Look with me in your Bibles in beginning of verse number 7. If you had known me, if you had known me from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. There are six different times from 7 through 11 that Jesus just really bears down on this. The third time in verse number 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you say that you have been with me so long and you do not know me? And then in verse number 10, he asks the question, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And then verse number 11, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So Jesus is saying, Philip, Philip, here I am. Here I am. Is this enough? You said that if you could see the Father, it would be enough. It would be sufficient. It would satisfy you. Here I am. You said, show us the Father and it would be enough. You'll never have any more than this because I will always be the radiance of the Father. He's invisible. Is this enough? 
But we in this present day, we might say, well, it seems like like there was a time in my life that was very difficult and I didn't feel the presence of God. I didn't know where he was. And that night, that night, in the upper room, Philip could reach out and touch Jesus and know that he was in God's presence. But is there anything as substantial as that? Is there, is there any way for me to receive assurance that God is with me in my difficulty, in my life? Well, I want you to look in verses 16 through 18. What Jesus says as he continues to answer this question of Philip. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I'm always going to be with you. This isn't just going to be like any time of me being around. I'm not just hanging around, coming and going. But, but he says, I will ask the Father. I will ask the Father. Again, relating himself to the Father and And then he says in verse number 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, you know, orphans are quite a heartstring, aren't they? Let's tug that. A while back, I was reading the official biography of George Mueller in the 19th century in in London, England, and the northern part of England, where he started these orphanages and Thousands of children were taken out of work factories and the streets and given a wonderful, loving place to live and the message of salvation in Christ. So great was the testimony of of what was taking place in this and really the story of the brokenness of, of Britain at that time was fueling Charles Dickens' imagination as he was writing his stories, Oliver Twist and Nicholas Nickleby and many other stories that were dealing with just poor, homeless orphans. And um, Dickens had heard the testimony, had heard the stories of what was coming from these orphanages. So he determined that he would go and make an appointment to visit. And George Mueller, knowing the fame of this one who was visiting, said, sure, come and be welcomed. Dickens was very skeptical that such a place could exist that was so full of generosity and security and grace and certainly love. You know, George Mueller was so assured, so self-assured of the testimony of his Christ-loving staff, the changed hearts that was taking place in these orphans' lives, that on the day when Charles Dickens showed up, 
He told his chief captain over the, all of the orphanage buildings, show him around wherever he wants, but I won't walk with you. So assured was he of what God had done in his orphanages that he didn't feel the need to explain anything personally to Charles Dickens. So assured are we by the very word of God and the testimony of God that God does not leave us as orphans. We are not orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans, so you're not going to be in this period as an orphan, nor will in time to come, will there be a time when you will be an orphan. The Spirit of God will come to you. And so lastly, what does that Spirit speak to us in this time period? What is the assurance that the Spirit has to draw us in as children of the Father? Well, there are three revelations that are made plain to us by the Spirit. Number one, no less of God is here among us than in time past or time to come. Jesus says, verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in, in you. No less of God is here among us than in time past or in time to come. We wish we could hold the hand of Jesus. We wish we could see his power, his authoritative power, demonstrating miraculous healing, grace, and mercy to restore health to the sick or even raise the dead to life. But there is no less of God with you, Philip's, than when was with Philip, no less of God, secondly. There's no less of God's help that is available to us in the time past or in the time to come. God's help, his supply, his grace, in the fullness of it is more than you can receive, is more than you can know, is not diminished by the lack of the physical presence of Jesus in our lives. God's grace, God's help, God's aid is for us here. Then thirdly, there's no less love of God expressed to us in the time past or in the time to come. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. The Father loves you. Jesus, the Son of God, loves you. And the Spirit loves you. Is that enough? Is that enough? Well, see, the Spirit, His desire is to continue the works of Christ in this way. To manifest, that is, in a real way, 
be the presence of God with us. Then secondly, to aid us in all ways in which Jesus would aid us if he was here with you by your side in incarnate form, the Holy Spirit is that helper. And thirdly, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sends the message, speaks to you, you are loved. You are still loved. You are forever loved. And God's love for you can never be diminished. Father, Son, Spirit, this is God. So let us ask this question this morning. Is the Spirit enough for you? Philip saw Jesus, and Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You and I this morning are unable to see Jesus. Is the Spirit enough? Is he enough to see the Father? Well, let's pray.